The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to discuss the practice and value of building a community as a marketing channel. Joining us is Jacob Peters, who is the co-founder of Comsor. Comsor is a community control center that places powerful analytics, automations, and engagement tools for world-class communities focusing on B2B SaaS brands. So far this week, Jacob and I have discussed the value of owning your own community. And today we're going to talk about setting up a community for long-term success. Okay, here's the second part of my conversation with Jacob Peters, co-founder of Comsor. Jacob, welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. Thanks, Ben. Excited to be back. Excited to have you on the show. Yesterday, we talked about the reason why brands are building community. As it turns out, the more that people are engaging digitally, the more they tend to feel alone. We're actually not building close relationships. And so the idea of community becomes very powerful in this new digital age. So let's say, hypothetically speaking, I'm running a content business. Maybe it's a podcast and I'm interested in creating community. I want to extend the relationship that I already have with my audience to be deeper, to be more engaging. How do I go about setting up a community so I'm not only getting something launched that's easily accessible and attractive, but also something that's going to set me up for long-term success? Yes, when it comes to building a community, the two things that you need is, number one, a reason for people to gather, and then number two, a reason for people to re-engage. So when it comes to a reason to people to gather, it has to be a shared affiliation or a shared experience or a common interest among folks. For example, if you are hosting a coding bootcamp or some sort of cohort-based community or a startup accelerator, that is a point-in-time experience where there is a reason for people to gather around something that's mutually important or mutually shared. So for example, I'm running the MarTech podcast. We've got listeners. We want to put everybody together that's interested in MarTech in the same space so we can talk about MarTech shit. I mean, that's kind of the basic idea. You have to have a common thread. How tightly focused does that have to be? Can we create a marketing community? Should we be creating a business community? Should we be creating communities that are for specific verticals of MarTech, like marketing operations or stack building? How specific should we be getting? So considering the spectrum of niche versus broad is a very important first step to thinking about starting your community. 
a lot of people make the mistake of going too broad at first. It's like, okay, we are going to create the ultimate community for marketers. But when you start to peel back the onion of what that could entail, there's different subsets of marketing like SEO, outbound, paid advertising, even podcasting as a channel, for example, marketing ops. So when it becomes that broad, there just aren't that many people out there that are going to resonate with that. But if you say, hey, this community is just for marketing ops professionals, which is a very specialized subset of the marketing field, that is a much stronger reason for people to gather than something that's a little bit more broad. Now, you can go make the mistake of going too niche and too specific to saying, hey, this community is for marketing ops professionals in San Francisco, because maybe you know there's only a few hundred or a few thousand of them, and that's not enough in terms of volume. Or maybe restricting it to be like, this is for marketing ops professionals that are within this age demographic or solving this specific type of problem. I think that there's an important thing to think about here, which is you have to know your audience and understand the value that you're providing to them. I don't want to create a generic business network for a community that already exists. It's called LinkedIn. And people can already have conversations on LinkedIn. Now, there are groups within LinkedIn that might not be sufficient. Maybe the MarTech communities in LinkedIn are just not really useful and full of spam. We want to actually build real relationships and communication, be able to provide outside value. Exactly. So the second thing is a re-engagement mechanism or a reason for people to keep coming back for more. So if you start a community in the MarTech industry, for example, that is a profession, right? That is the reason why people wake up in the morning, the reason they go to work. And it's oftentimes, you know, something that people get pretty passionate about. So there is basically a reason to want to continue to learn all there is to know about this space. Keep your pulse close to what's new and topical in terms of all the new marketing tech tools that might be launching. Or if you're going through a career transition, maybe you want to connect with other marketing ops professionals and learn about their jobs or find a new job and meet your next coworker. So there's basically just a myriad of number of reasons in which people would need to re-engage with a community like that as opposed to something like a community built around a coding bootcamp, for example, which generally only lasts six to eight weeks. And after it's done, there's really no reason to keep coming back for more. And just the re-engagement is not that strong. Now, the next thing to consider when starting a community is the tools and platforms in which your community is going to live and the ways in which you're going to create and facilitate experiences for members. Now, there's a whole host of community tools and platforms that are out there and that exist. So I'm not going to recommend specific ones, but I will say that there really is no such thing as the perfect community platform or the community tool. It's all about understanding the trade-offs between them and being comfortable with those trade-offs. I'm going to double click in here and I'm going to make you name names. I think of a couple different community platforms that are valuable, or at least something that we've thought about. Slack, LinkedIn, Facebook, forums, proprietary on your website. I'm sure I'm missing a couple others. Talk to me about the differences between a chat-based community like Slack, social media-based communities like LinkedIn and like Facebook, and then owning your own community. What are the trade-offs between those different types of communities? I think there's three big ones that come to mind when it comes to trade-offs. Number one is the engagement mechanism for community members itself. Second is the way in which people interact with the platform and kind of their habits, essentially. And then number three, which is your ability to own the community. So let me start with number one. When it comes to engagement, there's obvious differences between platforms like Slack versus Facebook groups versus something like a forum. On Slack, it's chat-based. So the nature of the content and the engagement and the messaging interactions between members is very ephemeral. 
that makes it sometimes tough to keep up with the fire hose and flood of information and continuous messages. But at the same time, if you have a question that needs you know, an urgent answer, there's a greater sense of immediacy. So you have to be comfortable with the trade-offs and an understanding if you're using a chat-based community like Slack or WhatsApp, Discord is another popular one. Just knowing that it's more ephemeral and not as long-standing, but at the same time, you have the ability to get answers quicker if you're a community member. I think that's an important distinction. And when you say ephemeral content, you mean something that is not long-lasting. Is the idea that if you're not in a chat-based community, the content will be front and center for a longer period of time. Exactly. Now, as opposed to something like a forum where somebody posts a message, two weeks later, another member can come back, post that message. It's not lost in the deluge of you know incoming chat messages like you'd see on Slack. So things are a little bit more longstanding from that regard. Now, the second factor that I talked about when it comes to considering a community platform choice is the user's habit and their relationship with the tool itself. And what I mean by that is, for example, on Facebook, if you're using Facebook groups as your community platform or a community tool of choice, a lot of people in the world already have Facebook. Most of them. Most of them, exactly. I think it's over two to three billion, in fact. So there's no new app to download. Users are already there. And for most people that are members of Facebook, you know, they're checking it on average a few times a week. So there's a natural re-engagement loop built back in there where people are checking something like Facebook for pleasure. They're checking it to connect with family members and friends. Then naturally, they're also going to be potentially checking it for your community. So there's two things going on there. One, it's low friction to join and become a part of a Facebook group or a Facebook community that's hosted there because people are already using the tool. Number two, the usage of Facebook is built into these people's daily or weekly routines. So if they're scrolling through Facebook, checking for friend updates, they'll probably see a message from your Facebook community groups update in the feed. Now, Slack is very similar in the sense that there's a re-engagement built back in if your audience is the professional or a B2B target account or something like that. Yeah, like if you're the MarTech podcast, almost everybody's on Slack and almost everybody's on LinkedIn. Exactly. Most people are already on Slack. So they're checking it for work every single day. They already have the app downloaded their desktop workspace. So it's very low friction to A, join another community, add another Slack, and B, check it every single day or a few times a week or once every few weeks, as opposed to if you decide to start your community on a custom app or a custom forum that lives then on a silent corner of your website, or people would then have to download something completely new, that is very high friction, which makes it tough to get people to engage in the first place, or even if you get them over that hump, for them to keep coming back for more. They're only going to engage with you if you choose a white label platform or a custom application or a forum that lives on your website, if they have an explicit reason to come to the community. It's not something that's already built into their weekly or daily habit flow. So the third consideration to think about when it comes to picking community tools or platform choices is the ownership that you have over the community. So if you're starting a community on something like Facebook groups or LinkedIn, you don't own that. You don't own the data. The social media platforms control the rules of engagement. They can change things at any time. And we actually saw this play out with Facebook pages back in the day, which again, as we mentioned in the last episode, is a one-to-many relationship between the brand and the audience member or the follower. Facebook actually nerfed the algorithm so that Facebook pages were significantly deprioritized in the feed. So all these companies and brands that spent hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in some cases paying to grow the reach of their Facebook pages were just absolutely decimated and left with this unusable marketing asset, essentially, because Facebook controlled the rules of the road. Now, that's obviously a risk when it comes to building your community on a platform that's not owned and controlled by you. I hear you. I've got a Facebook page with 30,000 followers that I haven't updated in five years. Case in point. Yeah. 
Now, another consideration there is API access. So when it comes to a community, there's a lot of valuable information that can be extracted about your members. Now, a lot of the social media platforms, they're a little bit more closed architecture and it's harder to get information out. Whereas compare that to something like Slack, if you're starting your community there, they have really robust APIs. So you're able to pull member information out, understand things like you know who your top members are and all of that, whereas someone like Facebook or LinkedIn, they try to keep that information much more black box and inaccessible to you. The other thing is the content that you're able to generate from the community and do things with. So this is an important consideration because as we talked about in the last episode, a big benefit of community is the content that your community members can generate on your behalf. Like you don't have to be the one writing all of your content marketing pieces or coming up with ideas for what to write about if your community members are sourcing that for you. But in something that's you know a little bit more ephemeral and chat-based like Slack or WhatsApp or Discord, if your community is hosted there, it can be really tough to have that content memorialized. Now contrast that to something like a forum where it's public, it's open to the world, it's not private in a group chat, it's indexable by SEO, that can be a little bit more powerful from a content perspective as opposed to something that's a little bit more closed and private, like a chat community platform. Is there an effective way to take ephemeral content and turn it into forums without just, you know, A, ripping the entire conversation out of your Slack community, or B, having to write blog posts based on what people are saying? From what I know, it's rather manual, but still valuable. <laughs> okay. So we've decided that we're going to build a community focused on MarTech. That's something that we think our audience is interested. Obviously, we're biased here at the MarTech podcast, and we're going to focus on going to where our community members are already interacting. That's Slack and LinkedIn. Once we establish our community accounts, talk to me about onboarding and driving initial activity. So onboarding is something that's oftentimes very overlooked, but very crucial when it comes to a community experience. And the feeling that you're able to invoke from a community member in the first few minutes or a few hours or a few days or a few weeks of their experience kind of sets the cultural tone for what the remainder of their experience with the community is going to be like. So onboarding can come in many different shapes and sizes and processes, but the key takeaway is that you need to be very purposeful about the way in which you onboard members. It's no longer enough to just send somebody an invite to a Slack community or tell them to join this group on LinkedIn and be like, have fun. You have to really take the time to do non-scalable things in the early days of your community, like send personal one-to-one -one messages to each of your community members. You know, if you're having them fill out an application to get data on them, you know, use that to craft your personalized invitation to these community members. Take a subset of your community members, do a one-to-one -one onboarding call, superhuman style. That's the email service. They made famous their non-scalable onboarding process where they basically had you know, mandatory 30-minute sessions with every new user that signed up. I encourage community managers and community leaders all the time to do non-scalable tactics like those in the early days. And this is really critical for your first initial members because the initial members set the tone for what the rest of the community is going to be like. Another challenge when it comes to onboarding is scaling too fast. So it actually is possible for a community to grow too fast. To get too big for their britches. Exactly. There's a saying out there in community world that the right 10 members is more powerful than the wrong thousand members, which I think is a pretty powerful statistic. You know, you're building a quorum and environment. And so 
It's like when you get a container of strawberries and one of them goes bad. And then all of a sudden the three of them next to it goes bad. And it just, you know, it starts to spread. That bacteria grows quickly. And so you got to get the bad strawberry out of the container as quickly as you can. I know we're really obtuse metaphor, but I hear what you're saying with needing the right members and to create a community that actually has a heart and a soul and a collection of people that have a common way of interacting with each other. Exactly. But the thing is, it's not just enough to have a common heart and soul and facilitate that at the beginning. It needs to be ongoing. And that's where a lot of community builders and a lot of organizations building communities fail. Okay. So I joined a community back in the day, Modern Sales Pro, I think it was. It was a Google community. I didn't even know Google had communities, some sort of a forum. And there was a big onboarding doc with the community rules and regulations, and everybody had to read them and sign them and agree to them and kind of laid the groundwork of how to interact with the community. It is much more complicated than you should come into this community, you should contribute, and don't just focus on selling your shit to the rest of the group. What are the other mechanisms to get people to understand and follow the rules? The biggest one is to set an example and lead by example. I call this principle, follow the leader. As an example, in our Slack community, when new members join, we ask them to introduce themselves. We have an introductions channel and we always make a point to emoji react and comment and welcome new members on every single post. And what started to happen was new joining members and existing members would start to add additional comments to that. They followed our lead and our example. And next thing we know, we had created kind of this unintentional, or maybe it was intentional, process where community members would welcome new members that had just introduced themselves. So we were basically able to kind of scale ourselves as the community leaders, introduce a process that others were able to follow. Another thing is creating consistent content and traditions. Members need to know that there are reasons to re-engage and things that they can expect on a consistent basis when it comes to a community. It's like content franchises. And we did this a lot at the beginning of the MarTech podcast. I haven't done this in a while and I really should. But I used to, at the first episode of every month, do a solo act where I was talking about the growth of the MarTech podcast. And then it became every three months. And now it's every six months talking about the growth of the show. But having milestones and different types of content, every Friday is career Friday, right? Giving people these common ways of engagement that are predictable. Exactly. Predictability is the key. Okay. I think the summary from me here is when you're thinking about building a community, you have to think about how you're going to position your community. Just like when you're launching a brand, you have to make sure that you're building something that fits with their audience. Then there's the delivery mechanism. Instead of building your own platform, you can use the existing platforms and take advantage of the existing user behaviors that your audience already is exhibit. You want to set up good patterns of behaviors, teach people good skills and build repetition, something that people can look to and have them start to build a habit out of checking your community because they know what type of content they're going to be getting. So tomorrow we're going to continue this conversation and talk about how to drive engagement and business results from a community. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Jacob Peters, co-founder of Comsor, for joining us. In the last part of this interview, which we're going to publish tomorrow, Jacob and I are going to talk about driving engagement and results from your business community. And if you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Jacob, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter. His handle is J underscore underscore C-U-B. That's Jacob. Or you could visit his company's website, which is comsor.com, C-O-M-M-S-O-R.com.
Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes, contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our once a week newsletter. You can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or you can contact me directly. My handle is benjshap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.